this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. We've been getting a lot of feedback that it's too the the pace of the podcast is too feverish. <laughs> uh-huh. It's too people are like, "Where's the fire?" People always say to me, they say, Rachel, your voice is filled with rage and an energy that is upsetting. We got big personalities. Yeah, you and me. We're like creatures in the wild that have evolved these bright yellow face-shaped spots. Okay. Meant to scare predators. But that's not like, I don't subscribe to that. I feel like you just described the emoji movie. (laughs) Did I? (laughs) These bright yellow faces. You're just okay, but okay. I was hmm, I wasn't talking about the emoji movie. <laughs> Can we though? But if you want to talk about Yeah, like what's some of your favorite stuff about the emoji? I movie? feel like we've only watched the first 20 minutes. I've watched 20 minutes of it in different different 20 minute chunks of yeah. it. Yeah. Not a great flick. I know no. people come here for like recommendations for like what's hot, what's new. That's like the tagline. Wonderful. What's hot, what's new? Um, emoji movie, not either of those things. No. Bad old, I would call it. Yeah. Um. And we have a pretty forgiving uh, review system for children's programming. Absolutely. I cried at Boss Baby. (laughs) I'm broken inside. (laughs) And what was the other one that was recent? Was it DC Super Pets? DC Super Pets didn't get a tears a tears response from me. Okay, but I was moved deeply. <laughs> yeah, by Kevin Hart's performance. This is wonderful. What's hot? What's now? And we're going to talk about some great stuff this week. I'm really excited. I don't know what you're actually going to talk about, uh, but do you want to do a small wonder to start us off? Uh, to, to begin the program. Yeah, I actually have a prepared small wonder. Oh it my was, God. It was maybe going to be a topic and then I just realized there's just not enough there uh, because this small wonder is a man of mystery and that is St. Louis legend Beetle Bob. Don't know who that is or what that is. That is a man who for 27 years attended a live concert every day in St. Louis. For 27 years? Yes. He went to a live concert every day. Yeah, it it ends up totaling over 9,439 days, which is minus the days during the pandemic when there were no. Oh, well, yeah, you can't hold that against Robert. Um, But he was a man that would wear like a 60s style suit and like a beetle wig. Um, Although some reports say it was just his hair. Oh, the beetle. Oh, Oh, like, okay. When you said a it was, beetle it, wig, I was assuming a sort of <laughs> chitinous. Oh, baby. But I know now, because you <laughs> laughed at me, that I was wrong. And then I thought about it for more than a second. <laughs> um, I got to see Beetle Bob once, and it was very thrilling. I was at, for whatever reason, I was at a like live music performance at the St. Louis Art Museum that was outside, and he was there, and I was so starstruck. I bet. I mean, it seems like the odds are pretty good, considering he went to a live show every day. Yeah. But uh, it was exciting for me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he uh, sadly has been recently uh, diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, no. and so the whole reason that I even saw this, this news bulletin was that today, I believe, for the first time in 27 years, he will not be attending a show. Oh, that sucks. But that even though 
though like he has recently like his mobility has decreased he has still been going still to shows he that's just sits instead great. of dances that's the thing he, i love that he he dances yeah. that's he becomes a very standout performer in that moment so yeah i just wanted to get a little little shout, a little out, shout to out to beetle bob our uh, our thoughts are with you sir yes um i i'm going to say my thing but i reserve the right to make it a big wonder later okay i the traders on the Peacock Network. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show called The Traders. It's on Peacock now. I think this is just the first sort of American release. I think it was a show that existed in the UK. We had a few fans tell us about it. Uh, Justin talked about it, I think, a little bit on the Besties. This is a competition reality show, so already we're Did you say it was on right Peacock? There. I did. Okay. A, couple, a couple times. It is, it is on the Peacock Network, which, Peacock, you're fucking crushing it. I'm saying we subscribe to a lot of shit. And when we first subscribed to Peacock, I, I, you know, I'm saying this as someone who's developing a, a, a television <laughs> show say. for Peacock. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be the kind of like powerhouse. Yeah. Damn. No, at first it was like, this is where we watch old episodes of The Office. This is where American Ninja Warrior lived. No, yeah. there's so much more to them. Anyway, uh, it's a competition reality show. A bunch of people go into a, a Scottish castle. That is in fiction owned by actor Alan Cumming. Uh, who is himself. Who is himself. Well, I mean. Extreme, he's like if someone took the Alan Cumming knob and <laughs> turned it all the way until it snapped off. Just to say like everybody is is themselves. It is yes. not like a character. Yes, everybody else is themselves. It's mostly reality competition stars, except for a few people mixed in who are not, which yeah. is kind of a strange The ratio choice. is confusing to me because it's a lot of people from like- Bravo series. There's yeah. uh, the woman from Below Deck, which we watched a couple episodes of. So there's, a there's a Real Housewife. Real Housewife in there. Suri from- Survivor, Survivor. Ari from The Bachelor, yeah, uh, fan, fan, Rose Buddy's fans may recognize <laughs> that 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 name. Uh, it's it's a lot of people. Anyway, it's a hidden role game where at the beginning in the first episode, three people are uh, secretly chosen to be the the titular traitors. Uh, and then and it's up to the rest of the group to suss out who they are. Yeah, and unlike the mole, we as the viewer get to know who these traitors we are. We do. We get to know who they are. There's, there's a few things that sort of set this apart from from the mole, which we adore old mole. We did finish <laughs> new mole, which is one of the most frustrating, <laughs> agonizing, I would say, TV watching. Again, I don't want to be super negative here on our super posy show, but I cannot remember being more disappointed by a television program than I was by new mole. Uh, this, this one though, the, oh God, what are the non, what are the villagers called? I always, the oh, faithful. faithful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have to suss out who the traders are, because if it reaches the end of the game and there's any traders left in the mix, they will get the money, not the faithful, right? Uh, every night the traders choose someone to kill or eliminate from the game just based on what the three of them decide. And then in the daytime, there's a popular vote among the rest of the, the I mean, amongst everybody where they will uh, banish one player from from the yeah. game. And they're trying to get they're trying to suss out the uh, the the imposters in that case. Uh, what's fucking great is that the traders, unlike the mole, are trying to get money in the pot. They're not yeah. sabotaging the games, right? That one change alone fixes what was really annoying about this last season, the mole, which is like everybody was fucking up on purpose all the time, so everybody would think they were the mole yeah. and mess up the quiz. That element's not there, right? It, yeah. it, one of the things that the traders keep in mind is like, let's get rid of somebody who's dead weight, who's not going to win us any money. But then there's like a million other strategic things to think about. Like, who can we pin the next 
popular vote on. And so, like, let's make our murder based on that decision to protect ourselves yeah. and get even further. It, it has unfolded, even in the two episodes we've watched, to reveal all of these layers of strategy that are right right up my wheelhouse. And then every 90 seconds, Alan Cumming appears on screen <laughs> and it's like, nothing bad. Ever. I can't do a, I cannot do his accent because yeah. nobody can. But he just said, he's just quoting Othello constantly and he's just, He's just, it's so good. The costuming. I mean, the costumery it's, is it's, on point. It's potential that these are his actual personal outfits, but I hope so. <laughs> but it's just, there's so much majesty to it. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I thought it was interesting that we get to know like who the traitors are. Cause at first I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if that's going to ruin anything. Um, but actually, it like adds this new level where you watch these people who were chosen seemingly randomly, yeah. who don't know each other, uh, and have differing levels of skill, yeah. kind of like come together and try and, and do this and not get caught. I do feel bad for the not-celebrities who are in the house, one of whom was just like playing way too loud in the first episode and essentially had kind of a, a breakdown <laughs> yeah. in the first jury vote because he was like the he was being bullied by the... Well, the, real housewife the problem and- was, and this is what's interesting, is that the person that was like, quote unquote, like murdered in the game, everybody tried to trace back, okay, well, who is the contestant that had the biggest beef with that right. person? And that's how they picked this guy. Yeah. He was just a random guy just a random dude. who like said a couple things about him yeah. and everybody was like, this guy. Anyway, <laughs> that was practically a big wonder on Traders. We're only yeah. two episodes in and I'm already head over heels, so... Catch, catch the wave. Catch the wave. What, uh, what are you talking about this week, my love? Uh, okay, so this is um, this I feel like requires some couching. Okay. You know when you have children and it's not about you. No. <laughs> Tell me more. A part of your job as a parent is to identify things that your children like. And, and then ignore those things so they play sports <laughs> because you never did, right? I've read all the books. Um, and and one of those things that our youngest child likes that I have a fondness for just because he does is Coco Melon. Okay. And so I wanted to talk about. Cocomelon. Are you about to talk about Coco Melon, honey? Yes. You're about to bring Coco Melon into the room. Yes. This is a. <laughs> If you look around, I work very hard to make this space. I know. An adult, grown-up space. If you look around, you'll notice there are no toys. There are no fun fun blocks. Um, I mean, one might say there are toys. Okay, that's a fine little dig (laughs) and a fair one. I mean, not as many as uh, have come to have been shown in the other McElroy offices. I think I'm, yes, (laughs) I appreciate that. I, I am surprised of all of the things that we watch with our with our our youngest that Cocomelon. I mean, it's not going to be Blippy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, drag him to hell! All right. I here's here's the thing. Big Mika stand though. Like we stand we stand for Mika. We love Mika. Yeah, no, she's the best. Um. The thing that's interesting for me, so, and this is common with all very young children, uh, Gus likes music. Yes. Uh, he likes, you know, bright colors. Yes. 
Um, and so I am consistently looking for something to put on the television that has music and bright colors. Okay. Uh, and I don't know, 90 times out of a hundred, Coco Melon does the trick. Yeah. Um, he is, he, we, we aren't huge on the merch. He has received some merch. He doesn't give a shit. No, he likes the merch that plays music, but it really could be anything. You it know, could he, be. he has no attachment to JJ, who is the, the star baby. Yes. Um, and in fact, I theorize that the reason babies love Coco Melon is because of how prominently featured the baby JJ is. And then, can you name the other two kids? I didn't know their names until I did the research. Exactly. It's because they don't get any fucking screen time. <laughs> Every song is about well, JJ. Well, he has a friend named Cody now. Okay. Is and the I- friend named Cody also a baby? Yes. So there you go. It's, this is a very <laughs> this is a show yeah. that teaches babies you're the only thing that matters in the whole wide world. Um. So yeah, so all that to say, like, as soon as Small Son goes to bed, it's not like we're watching Cocomelon. This isn't like- God, no. This isn't like Bluey, where like- it's it's not at all for us. God, Bluey's so good. I know. I know. We I know that's like the thing where like it's all parents talk about is how good Bluey is. I mean, we've talked about it on the show. The stump, the episode where they're having the dads are having a stump chopping party, but then Bluey and Bingo and their friends want to use one of the stumps for a nail salon and don't let them chop down that stump, and it makes all the dads get sad and frustrated, and the mom has to explain. <laughs> that they're chopping up the stumps is how the dads play. And then she looks and sees the dads playing and having fun chopping down the stump. Oh my God. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, gosh, I can't think of anything else right now. That's so good. Uh, Coco Melon, I wanted to talk a little bit about it because there's, uh, it's a surprising pick. I understand that. I'm but, very, I'm deeply curious about it. But yeah, there's it. a lot that goes into it. Sure. Uh, okay, so for those of you that don't know, which has got to be a very small percentage, but I imagine if you have never come within five feet of children's programming, you wouldn't know Coco Melon. Uh, it started as a YouTube channel, uh, and now it is also on Netflix. Um, and uh, in YouTube uh, realm, uh, it is incredibly popular. Uh, it far exceeds any other YouTube channel. Uh, it has earned 507.5 million weekly views in January uh, and will surpass 150 billion lifetime views sometime in February. It's anticipated. That's such a big number. That's a big number. That number has so many digits in it. <laughs> I think 12. That's so much. Um. Now that it is on Netflix, uh, it was, I was reading this article that came out in March, 2022. They said it was watched for 33 billion minutes last year, more than Squid Game and Bridgerton combined. I love that. (laughs) Um, I would love, love it if we finally combined Squid Game and Bridgerton into just a bunch of sort of fancy debutantes (laughs) competing in a series of deadly games. This is good. Are this you is good. This? Is, is someone really writing good. this down? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, it's also the music for Coco Melon is streamed 1.3 million times a day on Spotify. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize. So its parent company is Moonbug Entertainment. Right. Who also does Blippi. Are, is that an American company? I thought Coco Melon started in like 
France, but that might no, just be No, that's just the name. The name Coco. <laughs> no. Uh, Coco Melon was actually started by a couple in California. Okay. Uh, they, Is it the mom and dad from Coco Melon? <laughs> it was created in 2005 uh, by a father of two in Southern California. Um, he was trying to teach his kids the ABCs, uh, and his wife was a children's book author, and the two of them kind of came together and made a YouTube channel. Uh, and then, um, once they started getting enough revenue, they shifted from 2D to 3D animation, uh, and then Moonbug, uh, offered them just a whole lot of money. I imagine, yeah. Moonbug's whole thing is scouring YouTube to, like, buy out incredibly popular children's channels. Did they do the Ryan's World uh, stuff, I wonder? Not that I saw, um, but they did do like Little Baby Bum and um, Blippy, as I mentioned. Uh, basically, because YouTube is such a kind of a challenging place for people to actually earn money, like you have to know all these things. That hasn't been my experience. <laughs> All the monster factories that we've made have made me about 13 American dollars. <laughs> uh, Moonbug has kind of come in and offered people like, we'll give you this incredibly lucrative deal to like take over your property and you don't have to worry about like chasing YouTube money. Right, all the time. sure. Uh, and and I'm, I'm presenting them as if they're these heroes. That's probably no. not the case. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's, 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 business is business and business must grow. Um. But yeah, so so now Coco Millen is um is incredible. Like it's it's everywhere. It's every like Walmart, Target, every store you go to. Yeah. It's it's and there are apparently tons and you've mentioned this to me of like TikTok videos of people hearing the Coco Millen song and like their children come running into the room. Yeah. Um and it's built around this whole kind of like fascinating focus on on what is going to be appealing to kids ages one to three uh there's this whole like platform at moonbug uh where they bring in children and kind of test different oh god <laughs> different things with them when i read this that is the most dystopian <laughs> shit i i can imagine <laughs> of just like putting a bunch of babies yeah. In a big white room and then uh -huh. projecting images of like a mom on one wall and a ball on the other and see which way they crawl towards. So there's this article in the New York Times that came out in May 2022. Uh, for anyone older than two, uh, the team at Moonbug deploys something they call the Distractatron. Holy shit. It's a small TV screen placed a few feet from the larger one that plays a continuous loop of real world scenes, like a guy pouring coffee, someone getting a haircut. Uh, whenever the youngster looks away from the Moonbug show to glimpse the Detractatron, a note is jotted down. Holy shit. <laughs> and so they see like what what was you know became less interesting to them and like what were they more interested in it sounds wild i guess it is probably the only way to focus group a baby yes exactly <laughs> which is inherently not the most noble endeavor but i suppose there are way gnarlier ways to go about it in this new york times article the chief content officer said uh quote kids love yellow buses around the world 
In That's some countries, true. yellow buses are actually used to transport prisoners, but still, kids around the world love to see yellow buses and kids on yellow buses. And then it goes on to say, infants are also enamored with objects covered in a little dirt, like they've been rolling around on the ground. Yeah. And they're fascinated by minor injuries. <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> Not broken legs or gruesome wounds, more like small cuts that require Band-Aids. Yeah. And then this guy says the trifecta for a kid would be a dirty yellow bus that has a boo boo. (laughs) (laughs) All of this is disturbing. I mean, granted, all of this is disturbing. Um, And there's obviously a lot of research still being done as to what the effect of screen time has on young kids. Uh, and intuitively, it doesn't seem great, but then there's also research to say, like, as long as your child is still active, as long as they're still engaging in play, you know, as long as this is not being used primarily as a babysitting tool, uh, there's an opportunity for them to, like, you know, benefit from this in some way. Of course. I'm saying all that to make myself feel a little less guilty, um, <laughs> but... Well, there's a difference between plonking your kid down in front of Cocomelon for eight hours. Yeah. Which, like, we are very, very, very far from the parents who would, I think, fault somebody for no, and screen also, time. And, and, like, putting it on to engage them in in play. Like, we'll put Cocomelon on the, you know, music device that, if you say the name of it, it listens to your activities. <laughs> uh, and Gus will just, like, freaking party to it for quite quite a while. Yeah, he is still and may always be at that age where he can't really stay in one place for very long. Yes. Uh, So it is not a big concern of ours that he will zone out for hours at a time. Yeah. Uh, But he really enjoys it. Yeah, sure. And I don't know, man, like those songs. There's some pretty good ones. They get stuck in my head. The one I think about a lot is the beach song. That's like, let's take it slow. Today is hot, so like that they kind of <laughs> listen and have some fun in the sun. You know that one? You know what I am talking about. I then do there's think a I po- am, there's a yeah. song they do about pasta that is yes. uh, uh, really really something something else too. They kept saying familia over and over again. Yeah, they 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 rhyme. I think familia with the word pizza, which is like <laughs> so dope. Oh, maybe we're thinking about two different songs. We might be thinking about two different songs. Anyway, Coco Melon. Uh, I'm not really encouraging our listeners to go check it out. No. Uh, I just recognize that as a parent of young children and many of our listeners who may also be parents of young children, there is something interesting about the kind of love-hate relationship you have with the programs your children watch. Absolutely. And we can say all the shit we want about Coco Melon or Mr. Blippi, but when we have to go on a very long road trip, and yes. our baby who won't sit still for 10 seconds has to be in a car seat for six and a half hours. I'm just saying it's good to have those arrows in the old quiver. That is true. Can I steal you away? Yes. Okay. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be 
the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Styles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time? Yeah, you can do that also. Anything is possible! That's um the, for the commercial, the Super Bowl commercial they had. That was my voice yelling, anything is possible. In the wow. Background. Yeah, not a lot of people know that. Hey, head to squarespace.com slash wonderfulpod for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code wonderfulpod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. Dear Reading Glasses, it's been years since I've been able to read. I missed it so much, but I had no idea where to start. I felt so overwhelmed. But thanks to your show, now I'm back to enjoying books again and feeling like a reader. Love, Sarah. Yeah, that's an email we actually answered. Okay, maybe not that email specifically, but one just like it, because most of our listeners are named Sarah. (laughs) We're Reading Glasses, and we're here to solve all your reader problems. We give advice, help you find books you love, and discuss reading without making you feel pressured. No matter what you read or how you read it, we'll help you do it better. Reading Glasses, every week on Maximum Fun. Are elephants right-handed? What's the middlest size in the universe? What is the history of fan fiction? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive blah, 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 blah. Mm, Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. And we get to say f***. <laughs> Maybe not in the trailer. Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. I regret to inform you my thing is a video game thing. And so I want to talk to you about it, even though it's not something that you have any familiarity with. Honey, you've done this so many times on the show. And, and I, re- I feel guilty every time I do it. Because <laughs> I can't you- tell if you if you are interested in learning about these 
these video game topics that you have not sought out on your own every time. <laughs> I mean, what do you think I feel when I bring poetry to the table? You know, this is not something you've ever That's personally fair. pursued. I'm going to talk about a genre of video games very near and dear to my heart. The JRPG, otherwise known as the Japanese role-playing game. This is a... So you have kind of tangentially talked about this before in the form of other games, right? Or no? Somewhat, maybe. Have you like brought any games to Wonderful that Uh, fit in this category? Maybe. I may have brought Final Fantasy as like sort of one of the big, probably one of the two biggest sort of JRPG franchises. If I brought one, it would probably be that one, but I don't... Is that Academy, Hero Academy? What is the game? The Hero Academy. It's not Hero Academy. There's There's an anime called... My Hero Academia. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Is that a game? (laughs) It's it's an anime. They may have made a video game out of it. What is the the game that you play where the kids are in school and they've got little blazers and they run around? Persona. Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking of. (laughs) That is a JRPG, though. Uh That is a very, I would say, classical style (laughs) JRPG. Uh, I, I'm honestly like I'm going to get in the weeds a little bit because it's a uh, a genre that is a little bit nebulous, which doesn't happen a lot in video games. Like it's usually pretty easy to look at a game and be like, that's a that's a, you know, strategy game. That's a, a 4X turn based strategy game. JRPGs get a little bit weird because like inherently in the name, uh, it's it's got to be both Japanese from a Japanese developer and a role-playing game, right? Which is kind of defined by adhering to this sort of traditions that D&D established when it was first published back in, you know, the early 70s. Uh, But then also there's some stuff that uh, maybe it's a game that was developed in Japan that doesn't necessarily match what other RPGs kind of do. Or it's a game that is exactly like Final Fantasy and, and, you know, other franchises that are kind of the identikit for this, but not made in Japan. So, like, it's kind of a weird sort of uh, uh, nebulous genre that is hard to nail down. But I want to try to talk about it because I love this this genre and some of my favorite games ever are are from it. So, um, what well, you need to know. Uh, the two big sort of names in uh, role-playing games are Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. Those are both, like, early Nintendo, late 80s, games that came out in Japan and made such a huge splash and then came over to the States in various shapes and sizes. I have heard of Final Fantasy. Not Dragon Quest. I'm not that one's a little bit more, I think, uh, esoteric in the, in the States. It's not quite as big as, as Final Fantasy is here. Um, JRPGs traditionally have pretty linear plot lines, pretty linear, pretty gigantic, grandiose plot lines. Typically, whenever you're talking about a JRPG, you're talking about a game that you're going to be playing for... I would say 40 to 100 hours to like really get through the whole thing. Um, They don't have like a bunch of branching narrative. There's not much opportunity for like player authorship as there is, is one of the big sort of things that sets it apart from Western RPGs like Skyrim and other sort of stuff like that, which are a little bit more open-ended. There's turn-based battles, which is just like fights where, each character has takes a turn choosing what their action is going to be for that round. And then there's like less mechanical qualifiers, like anime-inspired character designs, which has its roots in Dragon Quest, one of the first, arguably the first JRPG. All the character designs for that were um, uh, commissioned uh, by Akira Toriyama, who made Dragon Ball, like the whole Dragon Ball series. 
He made the character designs for Dragon Quest, which like persist today and are these huge, like iconic things in Japan. Wait, I noticed you said just Dragon Ball. Yeah. And not Dragon so Ball. So Dragon Z. Ball Z is a were there twenty series. Were there twenty five other Dragon Balls? There, this was the twenty sixth <laughs> Dragon Ball series. <laughs> now Dragon Ball Z is like the one that uh made such a huge splash in America in the, you know, nineties yeah, or okay. when it first came here, but there are other Dragon Ball things that have but all of them were designed by this dude Akira Toriyama who did the designs for for uh Dragon Quest. Uh, and so like that sort of inspired uh, a lot of manga and anime creators to collaborate on on early games in the in, in the genre. Um, the plot lines also like have certain tropes that the games lean on, like pretty much every other JRPG you play, like the main character has amnesia and you're trying to figure out why you're the forgotten prince of this. <laughs> ancient king. Like uh-huh. it's it's something that people sort of. Uh, give the genre a hard time for in that like there are these or also like sometimes you have to kill God like you start out like hey can you go and uh, stop avenge your village and then by the end of it like you're in heaven killing killing God because of X Y or Z the the plot lines are just like outrageous most of the time Um, so like that that those two sort of qualifiers describe the genre but again like you get outside of of what that specifically means. And then you get into the weeds of things like Pokemon, which I would say is a JRPG. There's turn-based battles. There's like character advancement and all this stuff. But like nobody has ever really given a shit about any story beat that has ever happened in a Pokemon game before. What I really like about the, the, the genre is how sort of humble its beginnings were. Now it's this huge multi-billion dollar sort of thing with annual releases and all these gigantic franchises. But really it just started with like a handful of game developers who were RPG enthusiasts uh, who wanted to bring that sort of uh, interest to Japan. Um, So you've heard me talk about Richard Garriott before. Yeah. He made Ultima in I think 1981 and it was a very early computer role-playing game. Uh, there was another one called Wizardry that came out around that same time. Those were Western computer-based role-playing games. There was this guy named Yuji Hori who was a magazine writer. He was an editor for a magazine that's still in publication now, a manga magazine called Shonen Jump. He won a contest designing a game for a publisher called Enix, uh, and that's how he got into the industry. His first game was a tennis game called, I think, Love Match Tennis, which is a very good name, but it was a computer game, right? So then it, when when he wanted to make something else, he was really into these old Western RPGs. He was really into Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and he wanted to make a Nintendo game. And so trying to figure out a way to make those uh, make, make the RPG genre more sort of accessible to Japanese players who like don't play Dungeons and Dragons and also make a game for the NES, which has like all these crazy hardware constraints that weren't present on the home computer. Uh, led him to kind of condense down what he liked about role-playing games all the way down into this one little nugget. And that one little nugget was Dragon Quest, which was fucking huge when it first released. Like, you talk about somebody threading the needle of, like, what their ambitious project design was. I don't think you can do it much better than he did it because he created this gigantic franchise just as a, uh, a, a point of describing uh, how big Dragon Quest was. There's this urban legend that Dragon Quest games uh, have to be released on Saturdays because truancy 
was so bad on the days that Dragon Quest games came out that uh, the the government passed a law that Dragon Quest games had to be. It's urban legend because the government <laughs> didn't actually make a law, but Square Enix, which is now sort of the super publisher of almost all the big releases in the JRPG landscape, has an internal law that yeah. they have to release Dragon Quest games on Saturdays. The most recent one was Dragon Quest Eleven, which came out, I don't know, a few years ago. Uh, came out on a Saturday because pe- they don't want people shirking their their work duties because people go fucking bananas. For do you have games. Do you have any stories about games that you stayed home from school specifically? Yes, play? when Halo Two came out, me and all my friends were like really into Halo. We played like LAN parties and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I remember when Halo Two came out, I had planned on playing it online all day with my buddy Tanner, and mm-hmm. I asked my mom. I was like, <laughs> "Can I?" This is the only time this ever happened. I was like, this is a huge game. Me and Tanner want to play it. Can I stay home from school today to play it? She said yes. Wow. Which is very cool of her. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the most exciting sort of days in my <laughs> in my teen years to be given yeah. clemency like that. But I have infinite stories about playing role-playing games, JRPGs with my yeah. family, right? Like. Um, are most of them a lot of times I'll like kind of look over your shoulder while you're playing these games and most of them seem like you are interacting with other characters and choosing from a set list of things to say to the other character which I'm not sure whether or not those things are really consequential sometimes it is sometimes like I said like in traditionally in JRPGs the story's gonna go where it's gonna go and it's up to you to kind of like make your character strong enough to to advance that right yeah rarely will there be a a jrpg where it's like do you kill this guy or not kill this guy and then the (laughs) ending's gonna be completely different but in a bethesda game like skyrim or fallout or one of those like that is more the order of the day i'd say that's one of the bigger sort of differentiators between eastern and western rpgs Mm -hmm. um but like you go back to final fantasy and dragon quest and that's not really so much of a concern but i love I, i i love this genre so much i think because it was kind of born around the same time as me right dragon quest came out in 86 final fantasy i think came out in 87 they didn't come stateside until a little bit later but like we always had them in the house from you know the the point where we had an nes onward um i credit final fantasy 4 on the super nintendo with like teaching me how to read i so badly wanted to play that game that i (laughs) <laughs> learn to read so that I could do that. Um, yeah. And then moving on, like every other Final Fantasy that came out, came out, like we got it day one, had to be there for it. We bought a PlayStation, we got a PlayStation for Christmas because we just had to play Final Fantasy VII on it. Uh, <laughs> we would have sort of impromptu races when, because it would it would be rare that only one of us would be playing a video game that was in our house. Like we didn't get video games all the time. And so if we got a new video game, all of us would want to play it. But jrpgs aren't multiplayer and so it'd be like where did you get to on wild arms today and i'd be like oh i'm on disc two god damn (laughs) further ahead than me uh i have like all these really fond memories of uh jrpgs specifically i think from that era in in my childhood which is i think natural when you're talking about nostalgia uh of like that super nintendo playstation one era and if i do ever like have a hankering to go back and play some classic game usually that that is the order of the day. But then like you brought up Persona, which is 
arguably my favorite game franchise of all time. Those are much newer games and keep me, yeah. keep me hankering for new stuff. It's, in this. it's interesting for somebody like me who has very limited contact because like I only recently very, like very recently understood what RPG means. And in my head, the like whole concept of RPG is that you have control over like the character you design and the choices that are made as that character. Yeah. But then in these video games, it kind of, I mean, it seems like a lot of times maybe you get to design your character, but like the game is set, you know, you're just walking from place to place trying to figure out where the game wants you to go, right? I mean, kind of. What what you are describing is sort of a classical JRPG. That is, that is uh, there is a story, there is a, what's called a scenario in sort of traditional Japanese game design. Uh, that may not actually just be exclusively a Japanese thing. Now that I say that, uh, that is like the script, right? And we've moved away from that. I say we, game developers have moved away from that since, you know, technology has evolved and now games can be much, much bigger and you can have open world games where you don't have to necessarily do every single thing. And in fact, there's going to be a lot of stuff that you don't do based on the choices that you make. And I love games like that, right? Like I've played Skyrim more times than I can count. Um, but... There is something, I think, appealing about having a story that is being told to you, which is more of what a JRPG is is, is going for. Um, and when it's not successful, when the story being told sucks, like, that's going to be uh, a painful experience, yeah. I would say. But when I look back on sort of the games that define my my childhood, a lot of them are those more sort of straightforward JRPGs, which not only, I think... Uh, were like a big activity, a big shared love in our household. Like, I think it probably went on to define my like storytelling, uh, mm, yeah. like ideas. Like, yeah. I think if I if you go back and listen to Taz Balance, like, there is a lot of sort of JRPG e stuff in there. It's a little bit more straightforward than I would say later seasons of Adventure Zone were. Um, and that was, I think, inspired sort of by that. Um, I don't think this is anything you would, I can't think of a JRPG I would ever recommend to you. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because you talk about the number of hours and for me, I'm always like, oh, that seems like a lot of hours. But then you point out like I've been playing Words with Friends uh, for decades I now. think that if you could <laughs> reveal your playtime of Words with Friends, it may be bigger than any video game I've ever played. That's possible. But even world, Even thing. like when I was deep into World of Warcraft, I still think you've played more wor Here's Words with Friends. Here's the thing, though. When I play Words with Friends, I play it for like 19 seconds at a time. Yeah. You know, so it's... Well, brag, brag much. Well, <laughs> you are Words with Friends. It's just, it's difficult, I think, to like, to feel like it's the same thing. Yeah. Because it's very easy for me to like, you know, eat a sandwich and be dumb playing Words right. with Friends, you know? I, I mean, to that point, like, I don't play a lot of modern JRPGs that come out now, right? Like, mm -hmm. I play, anytime a Final Fantasy or a Dragon Quest comes out, like, I'm down. I've played all of those and I think completed all of them and I'm a huge, huge fan of that stuff. But, like, there's a lot of other ones by more independent developers and other sort of, um, you know, franchises that are huge in Japan, not quite as big in America. And I don't go seek that stuff out anymore because like, frankly, I don't have the time uh, to yeah. play a lot of video games these days. It makes me wonder what our golden years are going to be like. 
probably catching up on my backlog a lot. <laughs> I'm just picturing like entering my house and it's totally silent and all three of these boys are in different rooms playing different games silently. Am I one of the three boys? Yes. Oh, okay. I got really confused. <laughs> I thought this was like your totally busted like way of announcing. <laughs> no. No. No more boys. No more boys. Oops, all done. Oops, done forever. Um, anyway, let's share PGs. Thank you for, thank you for joining. Me <laughs> yeah, for you lecture. always say that. Like when I talk about video games, Rachel, don't fall asleep. And I, promise I don't think you, you're gonna fall asleep. You're not rude, but also <laughs> like I know I would rather be talking to you about something that you uh, uh, care about and are enthusiastic about already. Uh, like, but you care American about American Ninja Warrior. Like American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> which where are you at, American Ninja Warrior? You know, I feel like it's been long? off the air for like a year and a half. The papal ninja's only getting older. <laughs> His body's not getting more flat. Like that dude injures himself every time he hits the fucking spider climb. <laughs> He's not getting any younger. Give him his last chance. I I have to think. Joe Morosky, the weatherman, is a hundred years old. He's not. He's not going <laughs> to last much longer. I have to think this would be interesting to people. I don't like. I don't know. I at a recent live show, I mentioned American Ninja Warrior, and the crowd fucking went wild. So like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's hot anymore. What's new? That's the, the whole point of this podcast. But I'm slipping. I just, if I were an outsider and I heard somebody talking about the Papal Ninja, I my interest would be so peaked. I know. I, I have to imagine. Anyway. Anyway. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And thank you to Matt. I'm, I'm playing with my socks. I'm sorry. I'm a cat. Thank you to Maximum <laughs> Fun for having us on the network. Uh, it's a great, great network. We're proud to be part of the family. And um, thank you to, to you for listening. We have a bunch of merch over at McElroyMerch.com. Uh, that you should go and and check out. We have uh, uh, the album with music for the whole first season of Ethersea, which uh, here for what the next six days while we're recording this until the end of the month. Uh, all all proceeds for all album sales on my Bandcamp uh, will be donated uh, to Earth Justice, a great climate nonprofit. So uh, go go check that out. And uh, anything else? What am I forgetting? Got a graphic novel coming out in like two weeks. You can go to theadventurezonecomic.com to pre-order, which would mean the world to me. It's Taz's 11th hour. It's really good. It's our best book yet. I hope you like it. Anything else? No, I don't think so. I just talked a whole lot. I feel like it's a. I you, feel like it's all in your hands. You want me to say some stuff? You always end the show so good. Oh, wow. Anytime I end the show, I'm like, bazinga. And, but you come out and say like some really cool shit. Is this like when you tell somebody that they're better at washing the dishes than you are? So that it's like <laughs> when I mow the lawn bat on purpose so that dad doesn't make me do it anymore. <laughs> you know, dad still makes me mow his lawn, right? That's why I fly to Ironton every <laughs> month or so. Um, um, okay. Well, uh, here we go. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed the week where I just read some lyrics, uh, from MC Scat Cat. Maybe you um, can make your own sort of MC Scat Cat. Oh God, right that's the worst thing you could have said to me. Sure. Just do a little cat rap for me now. <laughs> do that for me now. Just a little cat rap. A little cat rap now, please. <laughs> just a couplet. It doesn't have to be a rap. Just a sort of cat based rhyming couplet would be fine. You've <laughs> trained for this. <laughs> Your whole Slumdog Millionaire style, your whole life has been building to this moment, Rachel. Uh, hold on. I'm trying to think of uh, a rhyming word here. 
catnip, fish, fancy feast, whiskers, litter box, meow. (laughs) Um... Okay, okay, okay. I got one. I got one. I got one. I got one. Uh, I knew I could fit through the door because of my whisker. I also knew that I stole your girlfriend when I kissed her. I'm a a cat. Meow, meow, meow. That was worth the wait right there. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.